Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan-funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on-location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers, or retailers, or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at patreon.com slash simplystogies. Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shoutouts on the show and social media, a monthly virtual herf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies podcast. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. Today is a very special episode of Simply Stogies, as I have a very special guest, Lee Marsh from Stolen Throne Cigars is here. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Simply Stogies. My pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, This is also a a great episode because, a special episode, because it's the first episode on the creative, Creative Brain Candy Network. That's not off to an auspicious start if I can't even pronounce the damn network's name. <laughs> the creative Brain Candy. So uh, we're, we're really excited about what we've got coming up, and we'll be talking more about that here in the near future. But go to creativebraincandy.com, and you can check out all of the latest and greatest shows that we've got there. So, Lee, you just landed literally like an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got into Newport News. About like four thirty. Wow. Uh, we were in Texas. Uh, had a great event at uh, Smoke Ring down in Webster. Um, spent some time with some shop owners in Dallas Fort Worth, and then got back to doing what we do best: playing with some tobaccos, with the well, uh, Rojas cigars there in Richardson. So we got some cool stuff going on. Uh, yeah, man, it's been a it's been a hell of a week, but it's it's fun. Glad to be uh, home and glad to be on here with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, coming on a podcast is probably not the first thing I'd want to do when I step off a plane, but I do appreciate uh, you taking the time with us today. And I kind of want to start, this podcast started as my personal journey through cigars. I started smoking in June of 18, so not very long ago. And it quickly developed in, into this passion that, uh, uh, for the leaf. And so I want to find out how you started, Lee? How, where did your personal cigar journey start? You know, I think when you talk about passion, I think it's really what it starts out as everything else but the cigar, right? And what I mean by that is I think that for me and the majority of people that are in my inner circle, it's more about the camaraderie. Like you do it because you're offered it and then you start to talk to people and you meet people and, you know, that kind of grows it. I've been smoking cigars probably 15 years and, you know, just a, your prototypical start, like hanging with my uncle, he gave me a cigar. I couldn't even remember what it, what it was to be honest with you. And then my wife and I relocated from Baltimore down to coastal Virginia and, uh, you know, just the normal got on meetups, started meeting like, uh, you know, these local cigar clubs and started meeting people. That's actually how JR and I started, uh, the other owner of Stolen Thrones who without him, we're not here. We can get that a little bit later. And it just kind of snowballed that way, man. And then like you, I just got infatuated with it. Like I just got infatuated with the boutique side of it. Like 
I love learning. Like I'm one of those nerds that sits up with my kid and watches how it's made. Like I love, I just, I just, it's very cool to me. And so given that operation, you know, and it kind of just took off. It, it really did. Like it just, it turns into a lifestyle. And then before you know it, your personal collection's at about 5,000 cigars. Okay. Uh, well, see, and so they now, started to make your own. For everyone out there that gives me a ton of crap for having 800, uh, 5,000 dwarfs, 800. Yeah. How did that happen? Did you have a family at the time? Were you married? Because I know what it's like to try to collect the 800 that I have. Uh, what was it like to get to that point where you're looking around going, I have 5,000 cigars. I am married and was married at the time. Uh, she was uh, a conscientious objector. I'll say that. <laughs> like uh, if she beat me home, she was like, Jesus, there's more packages on the freaking. She's like, how do you even smoke all these? I said, you let me worry about that. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things where it's just a it kind of, this this culture, this boutique cigar culture, you know, you bomb a friend or you just send some, oh, have you tried this? Like, here, here's this. And then, you know, like the, the boys from Ezra come along and they drop something every freaking month and then it goes and grows and grows and grows. Um, it's just one of those things that like you've got to have it all. Like you just, you get so infatuated with that, what's out there and what the little guys are able to do. And I don't know, man, it's a vicious cycle. It's a sickness. That's what we call it. That's what the group calls it. Got the sickness, man. It, it is a sickness. That's absolutely. And I know that there are guys that listen to this podcast and there are ladies who listen to this podcast that know exactly what you're talking about when you say the wife or the significant other beat me home. And they saw the packages like, when does this end? When? Why do you have this many? I can assure you that doesn't change when you own a cigar company. <laughs> My wife. Now it's like, uh, Lee, there's 20,000 cigars, uh, in our front yard. Uh, uh, but you know, and it's even worse because I have a smoking lounge in the house where I'm oh, at yeah. right now. And, uh, she loves that about as much as she loves forest fires, but, uh, she's good to me. She allows me to stay here and <laughs> allows me to continue doing uh, what I'm doing. She allows me to stay here. That is exactly what I say about my wife. She allows me to stay here. That is 100% accurate. So, so it's great. So you really are a cigar nerd. You get into the weeds and you like to collect and you like to, to, to try different things. How did that translate into, man, I think it's time to start my own company. Well, you know, it's funny because it all started with, just conversations that you have with your friends. Like JR and I, like I said, we started as friends. Like we're both, like we work together and then we, you know, we, we share season tickets. We're both Baltimore Ravens fans. And so as that gone, as that continued to grow, we were traveling and smoking and meeting people. And it, it we just started to notice things that like we didn't care for that we would do differently. Like, I would say things like, you know, if I was going to do this, I would do it a little bit like, you know, this or that. And then it started like we said, we could do this. Like we, we could, you know, not knowing anything outside of we really like cigars. We were like, man, we could do a boutique company. No problem. We could do it. Like, cause he was like, you know, Jake, you said I'm a geek. And the funny thing about that with the whole cigar nerd, the very first person to call me that was Island Jim. We were sitting in the leaf and bean late night after he had closed down and we were just talking and I was like, I was telling him this, this and this. He goes, Lee, it's just a cigar. You're one of those nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then honestly, man, it, it, it could have just as easily been something that we continue to kick down, kick the can down the road because, you know, we're, I'm, I'm super blessed to be successful in other realms and I didn't really have a reason to take the risk. We had just had a kid. I was finishing my executive MBA uh, and the last thing I really needed to do was start a cigar company. But JR comes over, we're sitting in the lounge. He's like, you know what? Time to get off our assets. We've been talking about this and talking about this. It's time to make it happen. Um, and this is probably four or five years after we first started talking about it. And obviously by this point, we, you know, we've met a ton of people in the industry um, and started just 
consuming knowledge as a consumer, right? Like as just a person who loves boutique. But he was like, no, it's time to put up or shut up. He's like, let's do this. And I was like, I don't know what made me say yes, but I was like, he just lit a fire under my ass. And like the, like the next week we were on a flight to Nicaragua. We were going to SLE. Wow. And then it's just been nonstop ever since. I kind of want to get into the weeds here a little bit because you are a cigar nerd. I am a cigar nerd. I want to talk a little bit about the process to start a cigar company. What does that look like? So you just, he says, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that. He says, let's do this. He gets you up off your ass. You guys go to Nicaragua. What does that look like? How did you, like, who did you call to, to, to start finding the people in Nicaragua to talk to? Well, we were super lucky. Like I said, like we had traveled and I had been around cigars probably 10 or 15 years. And before we started recording, we talked about how such a small community this is. Everyone knows everybody. I met Island Jim through Dan Sawali, who is a great person, one of my dearest friends. He has a shop in in Baltimore. He'll be celebrating his 20th year anniversary this year. Um, That's awesome. And he and he put up he put us in contact with him and we just started talking because my wife's family's from Pittsburgh so we were up there and he was like oh stop in here and then it, it grows that way man and then you know same thing through Nick and all those guys I mean I mean I mean through Dan and all those I mean Nick Perdomo who graciously let me and Jr come down and like go through and just see everything just learn I mean and I've always said you know whatever you feel about. Perdomo sticks or whatever. Nick is a true prince, man. He, he owed me zero. And because we were both lived in Baltimore, like he opened his, his doors to me and, and let me see the whole thing. And I'll be honest with you. If you have a chance or anyone listening has a chance that really cares about tobacco and they want to learn about cigars, his tour is one of the best because it's one of the only places in Nicaragua where you can see seed the box period. And he's, he's so graceful with, with his time. But then you, you start doing those trips. You start meeting people. You start talking to people. And Noel and I had had a bunch of common, you know, like acquaintances and friends. And um, we, we, we had offers from people early on that wanted to make our cigar, help us make our cigar. But uh, I'm very type A. <laughs> so... <laughs> One of the things I wanted to do, and I think any real entrepreneur or business owner would want is I want to control the process. I wanted to pick the tobaccos. I wanted to blend. I wanted to make the mistakes. If we were going to fail, it was going to be because JR and I, not because of somebody else. Yeah. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't want you to do that. They don't want you there asking the questions, looking through the tobaccos, smoking puritos of everything available and then making your blend and making cups and changes to your blend. Um, but Noel, like he, it, it took some convincing, but he, he did his due diligence. He asked a lot of people about us and said, okay. And then we flew down the same thing we did with Nicaragua. We flew down the next week. We met with him and that's how it all started, man. We sat in his garage for probably 24 hours with a few breaks for naps and food and just smoked cigars talked about what we wanted to do and started working on the crook and it kind of never stopped. Now that's the fun side. I mean, the, the, the side that no one talks about is the paperwork, the, the red tape, you know, trademarking, naming the whole thing, the whole concept, even with the legalities and the potential or non-potential regulations. Cause that's, that's the biggest thing that I try to display to folks is that, Everyone looks at our great success over the first six months of the company being on market, and we're super, super thankful for that. But what they don't see is this has been two to three years in the making, right? Like we didn't just right. get sticks and, and, and come out in May. No, I mean, we've been doing this for two years, getting prepared for that point. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of time, effort, and money and to do it the right way, you know? How many sleepless nights does that give you? Uh, I don't mean the fun. Yeah. I don't mean the fun side of it. I mean like the back and the stuff nobody sees the stuff that is that keeping you up at night and is it still keeping you up at night now? I'd like to tell you no, but yes. Um, Yeah. 
it, it's hard because especially when you're in this industry, there's so much that I can't control as the owner of the company, right? And once, right. once we make the order, once we do the operation, we have to worry about transportation. We have to worry about importing. We have to worry about, you know, customs. We have to, all those things. We, we can't control those, right? I can't tell you how many times we've been delayed or we're waiting on orders and accounts are like, Hey man, we need cigars, you know? Yeah. So it is, it's a, it's, it's probably taken about 10 years off my life. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's worth it, man. It, it really is for us. I mean, the, the passion that we've had behind it and the way that it's been received, I, you know, I always tell people like I joke around and I, I break balls with the best of them, but I'm truly humbled. I mean, by the fact of how, how crazy our reception has been. And I've always believed in what we were doing, JR and I both, but I'd be lying if I told you we'd be at this growth point this early in our journey, right? No, but that's fantastic though, because I've smoked, I've smoked Crooked of Crown, uh, the Robusto, and it's fantastic. It is such a good cigar. And I kind of, I want to talk about that um, so I'm going to bounce around my questions a little bit from what I had planned out, but I, I, I want to talk about crook of the crown. Like how, <laughs> how did you approach blending that? Like, what was it you were looking for that made you come up with that, that blend? You know, it's funny. And I, that's the, out of all the interviews that I've done, that's always the biggest question, like your blending methodology. And, and what I like to do is, I go in blind, man. You know, like we, like I was telling you, we were with Noel yesterday and Friday working on some special project stuff. I don't, because here's the thing. I just don't, I don't want to become myopic. Right. So my mindset is I'm just going to see what tobaccos we have because that matters. There's tobacco, like being a small guy, being a small operation, JR and I don't have the access to consistent and constant all these tobaccos. So, you know, one of the early lessons we learned is if you like the tobacco, you better buy all of it because it, it won't be there. You know, right now there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this industry, but one of the things that people are telling the actual truth about is it's, it's a lot harder to buy tobacco right now than it is to sell it. You know, when you're not making millions of sticks, the availability of tobacco is good and bad. You get access to really good stuff that's been aged and sat because there wasn't enough to make those massive productions. But at the same time, if you want it to be regular, you also have that, that limitation. It's not always in abundance, right? Right. We're smoking Puritos. We're really liking something. And, and Noel is great at that. He likes to tease me and I get really fired up about it. And I always argue with him. and you can, you guys on the forum, you can ask shiny prophet. He saw an argument uh, the other day. Not really. We're just joking, but he'll do this thing where he'll let me smoke this tobacco that we have. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, let's use this. He goes, man, we only got like two pounds of that. What are we supposed to we can't. I'm sorry. I said, well, why would you give it to me then? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, so it was really about, being a boutique guy, right? Yeah. Um, when, when the only thing that I had in my mind and JR as well, like we agreed before we went to it is wouldn't it be cool if we could have a cigar that we could smoke all day, every day and not get bored with it? Because as boutique guys, you get bored. You don't want to smoke the same stuff every day. You, I mean, you don't like that. No. That's the whole part about being boutique is like, you're like, Oh, they got this. And they got this and they got this. I mean, with the, my personal collection, I could tell you there'd be months, maybe even years before I would smoke the same cigar again. Right. Right. No, for sure. In my mind, because as our business plan is like the, the notion that I could be the cigar that you personally smoked every day, that's foolish. There might be some folks out there and I've talked to some people and I've seen their, they said, they always send, people always send me their invoices. Like, I won't believe that they bought our cigars. I don't really know what that's about. Like, I, like, I believe you, but there's guys out there that that's what they do. But for the majority of people, if it's in your rotation, that I, I'm blown away and I'm super happy about that. Um, but for us, it was like, man, because if we couldn't sell them, we're smoking 10,000 plus of them. So we better really like them. <laughs> right. Let me stop you right there. Let's talk just for a second about boutique and what it means to be boutique. Cause I think boutique is really, it gets thrown around a lot still. 
and I'm not sure it really applies to bigger brands anymore. But you guys are legitimately boutique. Like, how many cigars are you producing in a year? For so far, first fiscal year, you're probably looking at 150,000, probably, um, because we have other releases. Um, so the forecast is for us to be around that 150, 200,000 mark for the year. Okay. Um, That's, uh, Jeremy the, calls and, that boutique as fuck. You guys are boutique as fuck. Oh yeah, man. I, I, I have, I have no want to be at the million dollar, uh, you know, not million dollars. I would love to make a million dollars, but uh, <laughs> right. the million six, the million six and stuff like that, because it's more about maintaining the essence and the quality of being boutique. I like being able to put the product first. And I, um, that, that, that question, like what is boutique is thrown around a lot. And I I think, I think Steve Saka, I I heard him say it once and I, I think it was perfect. The day that I no longer worry about the product because of the bottom line, I'm no longer boutique. To me, it's about providing the consumer the best product at a great value, right? Because one of the things anyone who's ever talked to me in an event or an interview, I come from a blue collar family, man. Cigars aren't cheap and it's not a cheap lifestyle. And so with an elastic product where you have thousands of options to choose from and you choose to smoke our stuff, I take that super, super personal. Do you you look at it? I don't mean to interrupt, but do you look at it no, no. like as an artist would? You know, I hate, I, I find it really pretentious to call myself an artist. Um, but I guess so. Like, I, I guess it would be the same thing. Cause I can tell you, I probably felt some of those things. Like I, you know, one of the, like I've always been a super confident person. Like I've always tried to do everything the right way. So that generally builds confidence. Right. So but I can tell you, when we started shipping out the crooks, my stomach was in knots. Every time I saw a post, every time I was just, I didn't want anyone to hate it, right? And yeah. so with my palate and the way it is, like it can be misinterpreted because not everyone has the same palate. Not everyone picks up the same things. And I, and I guess you would interpret it to, to your question about like an artist, like a songwriter, like what happens when they write a song and it's not really receive the way they wanted it to be interpreted, right? I guess that's the best analogy, but it's hard when you're on the boutique side, in my opinion, is because you care so much. You, you're so passionate about it. You, you spent the time and you made the sacrifices and the opportunity costs on the other side of your life to, to, to do this. Yeah. So I, I think on that level, absolutely. You could say that, but I don't want to, I'm not going to call myself an artist. I think, uh, you know, I think that's weird. Well, I think that's at, a weird notion. I think at the very least you are a creator. I think, would you agree with that? I mean, you have created sure. something. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair, a fair assertion for sure. You said that you're a type a personality. You are, you are alpha. Like you need to be in charge. Uh, so uh, were you in charge of the artwork? Like how, like how much do you let go when it comes to like the artistic side of it? Like, let's talk about naming crook of the crown and, and the artwork for the band. Like, yeah. How, like how much of that did you, were you okay giving away? So the good thing about that is being coming from like traditional business side and doing other things and, and being a father and a husband, I can't do everything. I, I just can't, I know that. And to be honest, you know, I always, I try to reference JR as much as possible because he's just as much involved as I am. Yeah. I'm more on the tobacco side and, and, and doing the blending and stuff like that. We've done it all together. Every cigar we've produced, he's agreed a hundred percent or, you know, he's given feedback. Um, like prime example, and this is why I wanted him to be able to get his shine, just like everybody else. Uh, our first time in edition, that's all, that's JR's baby. So that's going to be a really, really cool project. Um, but JR actually named the company because I will say that was probably the hardest part to come up with. Um, I <laughs> came up with Crook of the Crown, but it was only after he had named the company. 
So let's talk about that because I know there's a story there because I've I, I've actually read an interview, and so I I, I want to know. <laughs> tell our listeners how the name Stolen Throne for the company came about. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things, man. I love telling the story and hate telling the story all the time because as soon as people hear this, I'm going to be inundated with messages about who said what, right? Right. And, and but, let me, let me, let me say, if you're listening to this, please do not send him messages asking who said it. It doesn't. <laughs> you can, we'll talk about it, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't matter who said it. It just matters that it was said. So tell yeah. us the story. So, like I had said, you know, JR and I had been around the industry for a very long time. Um, you know, from all aspects, just traveling and knowing people and meeting people. And so we were at a dinner with quite a few people in the industry, um, some owners, some high up reps, some brokers, the whole whole nine. It was just a gathering, you know. Right. And, and there was a certain individual who was being really like, just being a dick. If I'm going to be honest, like he's just, <laughs> he was just being an asshole. Like, and he was doing it to Jr. who of all people, like I give him shit, but I spent a lot of money to be in business with him, And he's probably, he is one of, he is my best friend, even <laughs> though he's a bajillion years older than me. Um, <laughs> and like, so like I, that really gets being a type a, but plus, you know, coming from where I come and grow up, like I hate bullies like that. And that's what the guy was doing. And so I, and I was drinking, Let's, let's get that out of the way. I was drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was in the bourbon pretty hard that day. And so it was getting under my skin, right? And so finally I just started chirping back at the guy, right? And then the word had gotten out that JR and I were preparing to enter the industry and the guy had made the comment like, you know, there's no seat at the table for you guys. And then so I was like, all right, we're out of here. And I said, oh, yeah, by the way, I used an expletive. I said, blank you, we'll steal one. Nice. And so time passes and JR, we're sitting there and I'm not kidding, man. We sat in Texas in the Wells garage for hours trying to figure this out. Like we could not come up with something because I didn't want it to be a gimmick. I didn't want it to be something just, we threw at it. Like, I just didn't want to pick a Spanish name and just go with it. I wanted it something that we believed in, right? And, and that we could get behind and that we could, we could live it. It wasn't, we weren't faking it when we were trying to sell it to people. And I think that that's, you know, to offshoot just a little bit is that that's where the cigar industry is different than almost every other business. Cause in the number one rule of business is you're not the customer. But if I don't, love what I'm doing and I don't love the product that I'm giving you, how the hell can I expect you to buy it? Right. So we're, we're going through the process and we picked the name, but trademarks are a bitch. So we, we had a name, we wanted it, but it was, there, there was a whole legality issue with it. So we're like, Oh God, what are we going to do? And then finally, like out of nowhere, he was like, Hey, you remember that night you told those guys to shove it up their ass? How about stolen thrown cigars? And boom, just like that. And then, you know, he got to drinking and scribbling and he, he came up with our logo on a napkin. I still have the napkin as uh, safe. Um, and then after that, once we were like, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's go with that. And then it, um, and then Crook of the Crown rolled right off of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I know there were, there were questions uh, in Simply Club and some of the guys over there that were asking, was this Game of Thrones related? No, it's not. This is. I, it's very personal. I mean, because it, I, it, it and I want to, I, I want to kind of <laughs> parlay this into questions about the industry. And, and it, it, is that the welcome that you get from most people in the industry? Or is the industry pretty, you know, welcoming of, of absolutely, absolutely not. Right. Um, the majority of the industry are class ass dudes and, and ladies. And I think that surprises to hear that from most people. I mean, you have your, you have a few folks who don't like competition or, you know, for whatever reason, don't want to see other people succeed. But right. I can tell you 90% of the people that you come into contact with are super supportive, super friendly, like super welcoming. That, that was basically really the only issue we had with someone that was you know on the negative side 
I can't say enough about the industry in terms of the quality because it's one of those things where the cream rises to the top, right? And when we talk about the industry, everyone knows everyone. So if you're a piece of shit, people figure it out. And uh, it, it kind of, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot. But absolutely not. I mean, the art, the industry as a whole, from our experience, people have been great, super welcoming. They're just, you know, regular people, you know? And that seems to be what the majority of folks say, is that the industry is welcoming and the, they will try to help you. But I've also heard... Uh, from somebody in the industry, and I don't, I never say who said it, at least I don't think I've said who said it, is that it's like a poker table at the in the Old West. Above the table, everyone's playing the game, and everyone's friendly and welcoming and helping, but under the table, everyone has their guns drawn. Sure. I, I mean, I think, I think that's a fair assumption to a certain degree. I mean, I, but it all depends on how far you put yourself out there, right? Like, obviously... You're, you're not going to depend on someone else who also has a brand to do things that you need to do to make to, to be successful, right? It doesn't mean you're not pleasant with that person or they're not pleasant with you or if you were in a pinch, they wouldn't help you out. But I think that is true to a, a certain extent. I think with some people more than others, yeah, they're ready to do whatever they have to do. But I don't know. I don't get too caught up in that. I, I think that brings me to my next question, which is as an outsider who, who's looking in, to this, to this industry, there, there seems to be a lot of internal politics that in all honesty could really hurt the industry. And so as a new brand, how does Stolen Throne navigate that kind of weird internal political landscape? Honestly, it's just going about our business, doing the things that we set out that we want to do. We had, we probably had a, a lot harder time setting up the networks and the relationships that we needed to be operational but we're basically navigating it as we we're, we're just running our business, doing what we have to do. One of the things I don't tend to do is I don't like to put on this great facade, right? Like I'm still all about cigars, right? Like I don't just smoke stolen thrones. I don't, I smoke everything. I don't hide it either. Like I still post in groups and do all that stuff because that's what it's about. I'm just not going to just smoke my own stuff just because it's my stuff. Yeah. And I think for the most part, when you have those genuine people and you, you, everyone goes to like folks, we're tribal by nature, right? So you just, you gear towards the people who've been kind to you and kind of work through that cha those channels and some might surprise you and then you just kind of do your own thing. You're not really, we're not really too worried about whatever everybody else is doing. We're just focusing on ourselves and creating the channels that we need to be successful. I don't really play the political game too much i'll be honest i mean everyone does to a certain extent but it's not it's far less frequent than you would think well that's good. for us anyway i can't speak for anybody else i think there's a there's a swagger that comes with what you just said which is i don't mind smoking other people's stuff i post in other forums i do this i do that there's a swagger that comes with that and, and i and i mean this in the most complimentary of ways is that my what i put out there is good I know it's good. And so I'm okay letting everybody else know that I smoke other stuff too. I'm like you said earlier, uh, you don't, you know, smoking the same cigar every day, day in and day out, it gets boring. And so there, you have to have variety. And so, uh, there was somebody else that, that I talked to, a uh, big day from illusion who, uh, who does the same thing. They, they smoke everything and they don't take bands off when they're at trade shows or whatever. Cause you know, what's the point? Yeah, I don't do that. I understand why reps do it, and I get it, right? But for me, who gives a shit? I like this cigar. I'm going to smoke it. Uh, I don't bash people. If I don't like the cigar, I won't post it. Because I don't – I mean, I think that's below board, right? Like, the, you know, just because I don't like a cigar doesn't mean it's not a good cigar, you know? Yeah. And, but the problem is, Jan, is everyone's doing it. It's just people who are trying to hide behind those facades pretending they're, that they're not, saying, I only do this. But to be honest with you, like in any other business, especially if you have an elastic product, if you're not smoking what else is out there, how do you know how do you know how you're differentiated? How do you know how you're doing flavor differently? How do you know that you know what I mean? Like I yep. that's crazy to me. And it's it's about the cigars. I like cigars. I don't I don't think that we're the only people that make good cigars. That's absurd. Why would I go through the why would I go through the hassle to try to hide that, hey, 
this is a pretty damn good Tatawahe, or this is an awesome Roma craft, or, you know, illusion, like anyone. Right. Well, I think that goes to how you view community. You said that the boutique community is a giving community. It's a, it's a community where you're bombing people's cigars and you're giving people cigars and you're, you're helping your, your brothers and sisters of the leaf out. Right. And so I think that kind of goes with that, which is why my next question, I mean, it's just so counterintuitive to everything that I know in, in the community, in the cigar community outside of the industry is that, you know, all like all of this political stuff with, with the big four pulling out of the PCA show this year in rich from, uh, from simply stogies.clubs in rich, uh, two, three, nine wants to know, like, what's your take on them opting out? Because again, like when you talk about community, you, it seems like there's two different communities. There's the industry community, which seems to be in somewhat of a state of upheaval. And then you've got the cigar smoking community, like your consumers. And, and while there are some bad elements there, there's a huge dichotomy between how the community, the outside, the industry conducts itself and how the, the industry inside seems as an outsider to conduct itself. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And I think that plays into the politics, like you're saying, right? Like they, you know, they clearly wanted to make a statement and for them, that's what they felt they needed to do. I agree with the upheaval part. I do think that there's um, plenty of room at the table for everyone. And I think that as an industry, we really need to get it together in terms of what the true goals are. And that's providing quality products to the consumer. I don't have a political stance on the shows. The only reason that we didn't participate is because at this juncture where we are, it didn't make sense. Our growth is so organic right now and is going so rapid, far ahead of what I had forecasted um, when we started, that it just didn't make sense. The cost-benefit analysis of me paying guys to come out and setting booths up and doing all of that. It just didn't make sense because the break even point was so high. And then you have to do the caveat of are these sales I wouldn't have gotten anyway. Now the networking, it's great to meet people because like I, I had said, it's a small community. So meeting people and developing relationships is a, a, is a great part. And those are done really, really well at the shows. And I'm not saying that you won't see stolen thrown at a, at a future show, just at this juncture, and I've said that before. People have asked me, are we making a statement because of our growth? Wouldn't we want to get out there? It just doesn't make sense. It, 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 it didn't. And because, like I said, we're growing so fast. And I have to make sure we have cigars to sell. You know, <laughs> that's right. the thing, right? But yeah, it, we, are at a weird, we are at a weird point as, a, as an industry. And I, I, I think there's multiple factors in that. You know, between the shows and the changing of the shows and right, potential or non-potential regulations and, you know, and, and the, this, you know, it, I think as a whole, those things fester. But I hope, you know, being op an optimist, I, I hope that we can kind of get it together collectively, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think we will. I mean, cooler heads usually prevail, hopefully, you know, and but for us, I, and I see, I hate the conjecture. And the problem is, is like, you would think that we're above the board in that regard because we are kind of like our own, like subculture being, you know, the cigar lifestyle. But I think, you know, everyone tries to tend to try to read too much into things. Like we had had people saying that, you know, we were making a statement that we weren't participating and that couldn't be further from the truth. And we had contemplated it. But when I looked at it, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. And so everyone has to make their own decision. Do I think what the, the, the big four did made a statement? Absolutely. I did, but I, I don't really know what their intention was, you know, and I, I can't speak for it as if I did, you know, and I think, you know, the way we need to look at it is we need to collectively get some shit together. Right. I think you would agree with this. The reason we need to collectively get our shit together in the industry is the FDA. I mean, this, the specter of the FDA and what they want to do, it's a pretty, it casts a long shadow. Starting a new cigar company, what were some of the hurdles from specifically the FDA that you had to overcome? And, and Coppertop, just to dovetail off of that real quick, Coppertop wants to know, is substantial equivalence an issue for you? And if it is, how are you dealing with it? Well, it is an issue just because no one knows what it really looks like. And, and that goes into part of the two to three years that you didn't even know who Stolen Throne was 
because we weren't putting cigars out. We were getting our shit together and figuring out how we were going to do it. Um, I'm not one to let me to, to tell me what they're going to let me to do or that I shouldn't do. So just because that this was pending, wasn't a reason for me not to do something that I'm passionate about. Luckily, you know, JR and my background, both on the legal compliance side. So we had a lot of time and effort to kind of think about strategies and different ways that we would navigate should it come up, should it come up, right? And you just prepare that way, but you continue as business as usual. And I think that, you know, I think collectively, I don't think the FDA really knows what they're going to do yet. You know, with the comments that they made maybe a month ago about we're not their priority and they're going to pick and choose. Uh, you know, how they regulate. And that's precedence, right? That's, to me, that's a positive. The way that they're behaving can be used against them. But it's just about having your ducks in a row, doing the things you're supposed to do. Um, And then one of the things we've always said about us is that we're just trying to do things the right way. Um, And so, of course, it it is a looming thing, but I'm not going to lose sleep worrying about that, you know, because I can't control it. JR can't control it. We're, we're, we're here to stay. We've made sure that we've made preparations. So that does happen. We're helping people in the industry that we consider friends. So they prepare and they're not, you know, hit with fear mongering because I believe in this community. I believe in this industry. And it's, I'm often asked like, Oh, well, why do you help that person? You know, if you're, if you're technically competitors, well, someone helped me out. Right. And they didn't have to, there was plenty of people who took the time to give me insight or tell me how to do things differently, to be smarter about it or where they made mistakes. The least I could do is offer, you know, a helping hand if I can. And that's, you know? a, that's a good way to be. I mean, cause you I never know. So. When that's, yeah, I, you never know when you're going to need a helping hand and you want to pay back what was given to you. You pay it forward. Right. So I, I respect that. And I, I hope we see more of that in the industry. And I think it's odd that you say it, uh, that, you, yeah, we're in competition with one another, but that doesn't mean we can't lend a helping hand. I just talked to two lounge owners in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the same city, who are best friends, who former Marines, and they they don't compete with one another. All, they, they say a rising tide, you know, raises all ships. That's how they conduct business. And the fact that that you are essentially saying the same thing that that they are gives me personally a lot of hope for the, for the industry uh, as a whole. Sure. And I mean, because of what we said, right. Look at the, look at the tendency of if we, if we were competing for a person that smokes one cigar, yeah. Okay. Maybe, but like we just talked about the tendencies of the boutique cigar smoker. I don't expect a guy that's been smoking Aston VSGs for, you know, whatever to, to all of a sudden switch to crook of the crown. Right. If it happens, fantastic. We're happy for having them. We're super appreciative for the support. But the boutique sm- smokers is our target market. And they don't smoke the same cigar every day. So just because they buy our cigar doesn't mean they're not going to buy yours. Right. You know, th- those are the things that kind of people lose touch with, I think. And and what you said about retailers is that's, that's here in Virginia as well. We, you know, our, our accounts are two big accounts that are right here locally within minutes of my home. They do the same exact thing. They, you know, there's no reason that. Well, I mean, why? That's you know. Yeah. Why? You do the, exactly. You worry about your process. You worry about your product. You worry about how you're servicing your customers. Because to me, if I'm worrying about what you're doing, I've already lost. Because I wasted time and effort when I could have been making myself better. But I'm focusing on what you're doing. And at best with those efforts, I'm just going to imitate you instead of trying to do my own thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question because uh, President Trump last week said something uh, about he'd rather see he want, he would rather start a new agency that would deal only with tobacco and take it away from the FDA. So would you rather deal with this new agency or would you rather deal with the devil you know? That's a good question. I'll be honest with you. The bureaucracy that goes about with starting a new agency like that is it's so robust that I can't haven't been on the public been in the public sector at some point in my career. Like I can't even imagine that that will come together anytime soon, let alone with meaningful backing at the <laughs> the outset that they would know what they were doing. Right. right. But yeah. I, I, I don't hate I don't hate the notion. Wouldn't that new agency just probably in all likelihood be staffed by former FDA 
bureaucracy. I mean, it's not like they would be bringing people in from the industry. It's very easy to say that. And I think that that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, because you don't know, right? You're playing a game of what ifs. Like you can at one point, you're like, oh, well, maybe they'll hire intellectuals. That's highly unlikely, but maybe they will. But that that's a very good point. That's a possibility. I think the idea in a nutshell is fantastic because you would hope that they would start treating things that aren't the same, treating them differently. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the big crux of the issue is that anyone will tell you is that we're being treated and lumped in with other products that are nothing like us. And the tobacco, the, the tobacco regulations and the, the potential of this and that, it's not just affecting us cigar guys, it's affecting agriculture as well. Right. And so to, to, to that, I speak to as, yeah, it would be better if someone had a better idea of what they were actually talking about and trying to regulate and just saying, this looks like a duck. It's a duck you know, putting a little bit more effort into actually understanding what they're trying to achieve. But at the same time, you're not going to get people to split hairs that don't care about it. Right. That's a roundabout answer to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, because that's any, anything, anything as an ideal is perfect, right? Anything yeah. that you can, you can cultivate any kind of idea, but when you actually start put resources and people behind it is when it becomes all murky. No, for sure. For sure. So I want to circle back now. Now we've talked about the industry and we've talked about all, all of that kind of minutia. I want to circle back to Crook of the Crown, which, by the way, we will be reviewing next week. Yes, another episode uh, uh, week after week instead of biweekly where it looks like we may start going weekly with the content. We'll see. So we're going to review that. I'm going to have Mike back on if we can we can schedule that. And we're going to talk about Crook of the Crown, which is fantastic cigar. I absolutely love it. Are there like, are there any plans for other Vitolas? Because right now it comes in Toro and it comes in Robusto. Are there any other plans for any other Vitolas? At this time, no. I've never really been big on line extensions because I think it gets too far away from the blending intent. I would love to do it in Corona. Our, our Rojas Corona is a 6x46 and I just love that Vitola. I think it's awesome. JR won't let me. He's protecting me from myself because I do too much. I try, you know, we got so much going on with planned production of 2020 and 2021. And then we're, you know, we're, we got a lot of special projects that are in the works. So as of now, no, but it doesn't mean never. Uh, if I can convince him, and I always like to do this, I always like to give out his personal, his, his stolen throne email so that people can complain. Um, <laughs> they can send it directly to him. He loves it when I do that. He, he, <laughs> I could imagine. Uh, so, I could imagine. If you, so if you want more of a Tolos of the Crook or you want other things to be done quicker, please email jr at stolenthronescigars.com. <laughs> <laughs> please don't tell him you heard that on my podcast. Please don't do that. <laughs> tell him you heard it somewhere else. <laughs> what has been, as a new, new brand, what's been your most successful method? And this question comes from Enrich239. Uh, what's been your most successful method of getting new customers to try your brand? Honestly, it's you guys. It's the consumer. When I talk about organic growth, it's, it's the fact that the retailers that are smart enough to listen to their consumers about what they want to smoke or what they want to buy from them is, has been monumental in our growth. I, I would say probably like on a large percent, like 60 maybe 65% of the accounts that we've achieved is because of the consumer going in there asking their retailer, like, why don't you have this? Like you guys need this. This is right up our alley. Like this, we, we got to get this in here. And I'm not kidding. Like, you know, I've had people like, Hey, you know, I just bought a fiver. I'm going to take it right now to the, the guys at my B and M, you know, that's amazing. Right. The fact that someone's willing to stake their claim on what we're doing and, and, and kind of get behind that is, uh, it's really cool, man. Like, I, I don't really know how to explain it because it's super humbling. It makes me feel really weird because you're still adjusting to people getting behind it. But right, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so when people see it and the review, the reviews didn't hurt, right? You know, we, <laughs> I'll never forget, like, I call it my hell week, but it was awesome. So we had launched, we went with Cigar Federation. And then right after that, Catman gives us a hundred out of a hundred uh, on the Robusto. 
and it just freaking blew up, man. From that point, like, and I'm not even here, and Jr. and I, like, Jr. is just, we're we're pushing out orders as fast as possible. We can't do it fast enough. And really, man, that's why we, I mean, we stocked out in three weeks. Wow. We sold ten thousand cigars in three weeks. Wow, that's fantastic, though. Yeah, I mean, when you consider my sales goal for our first fiscal year was twenty thousand cigars. I, if we could do 20,000 cigars, I would have been ecstatic and we did 10,000. <laughs> right? You guys are such a, a, a great success story in the industry and, and, and just kind of a, a testament to what you can do. Like, where do you see stolen throne in 10 years? Oh, if I'm still alive, cause it hasn't <laughs> made me stroke out. Right. Uh, I hope we're still just, you know, doing what we're doing, man. Continue to put out quality boutique products, you know? And, uh, continuing this passion right like that's that's the goal i don't i don't plan to reinvent the wheel i don't plan to change the world we just want to continue what we're doing it seems to be working and we just want to constantly get better i'm a big person on you know process improvement okay so where do you see the industry then in 10 years that's a good question too I believe we'll still be chugging along, man. I think we're going to survive this whole muddy water. You know, the future is unknown, but it's not, you know, it's not impossible. So I think the people that are really committed and really want to do this will still be here, you know, and we're going to be one of them. And so I think, you know, you can look at it if you want to be altruistic about it. You want to look at it that, Things always happen for a reason, and maybe this is a, a bloodletting way. Maybe the people that really don't care about the industry and just here to make a buck or sell as many cigars as they possibly can in a short period of time before the proverbial boogeyman comes and pushes them out, then maybe they shouldn't be here anyway, right? You know, if they're not going to – if they're just here to – we're all here to make money. We're all here to sell cigars, but there's more things that that, that underlie that, right? Like it's it's not – it's not about the quick buck, right? And no, we've heard the- that. And like that's, yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that'll, that gets under my skin and pisses me off when people just assume that a new company like us, we're just trying to sell as many cigars as we can before we're put out of business. That's absurd. Because I can assure you that I wouldn't have wasted missed moments with my daughter and family and the money I put into this just for a short-term goal. I wouldn't do it. That's not the kind of person that I am. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people like us out there that are feel the same way. I, and I think your passion comes through uh, in just talking with you. And it certainly shows in your cigar. The cigar is extremely well-constructed. It tastes fantastic. It's uh, I can't say enough great things about it other than you can tell when somebody has a passion for this business. And it, you can tell it in their cigars. You can tell it with how they interact with the community. They can, you can tell how they interact with their peers. And, and, and Lee, I got to say, like, you have it, like the passion is just coming through loud and clear. I appreciate that, man. I think at the end of the day, it's because we take it super seriously. Like, I'm not joking. That's not just a soundbite to say that when you decide to spend your money on our stuff rather than someone else's in that specific moment, that, that means a lot to me, man. It, It does. I take it super personal because life's tough. There's a lot of opportunity costs out there. There's things you could have done with that 10 or 11 bucks, you know, and it's about the community. And I think I I would say the one thing about the industry that kind of got under my skin along with others that pushed us to work as hard as we do for the product is that I need you as a consumer. You don't need me. You can find another cigar to smoke. That's fact. Yeah. That's not, that's not, that's not conjecture. That's not an, uh, that's not some grandiose assertion. That is a hundred percent fact. If stolen throne disappeared tomorrow, the guys that smoke it and ladies that smoke it would be able to find something else. And I think that that's, that's a, that's a big part of our fabric. I mean, when someone walks in, like you'd ask me about our growth, like when someone goes in and says, you've known me for X amount of years, I've been coming here doing business with you as a brick and mortar forever. And I'm telling you, you need to bring the cigar in there. That guy doesn't owe me anything or that girl doesn't owe me anything, but they've done it. They've staked their reputation to bring our cigars in. 
And so the least I can do is continue to put out a product that's worth their efforts and, and the risk that they're taking on me. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing I tell retailers, you know, I just appreciate the people that give, gave us a shot, you know, cause we did things a little bit different. You know, there's, there's certain companies out there that if you only wanted a box or a box of each Vitola, they wouldn't open the account. I'll do that shit all day, man, because I believe in what we're doing. I believe in our product. I believe the people that are buying from you will believe in the product. And every single account we've done that has grown exponentially in terms of orders, but they've also turned the inventory. How many uh, B&Ms are you in right now? We have about 50 accounts. We, we, we hit a lull um, in terms of being able to bring people on. So we had a, a quite a bit of a wait list just because I don't believe in opening accounts that I can't fulfill their orders. So when we stocked out, it slowed us down in terms of onboarding people. Um, because again, you know, I'm a loyal person. So the people that took a chance on us and brought us in, we, we reciprocate. Um, we're up to about 50 accounts right now that are consistent, great folks. And they're, it's, we're, it's growing daily to be honest. Um, and the expansion has been insane. I mean, when you wake up and you see our stuff is in Germany and we're in New Zealand and it's crazy. It's absolute craziness. That's awesome. It is. It's really awesome, but it's, it's, uh, it's hard to process, man. Like I checked the Instagram and there's this guy in Germany just like posting it up. I'm like, how the hell did you get that? Like, I, like that's the first <laughs> thing, but I'm like, you know, I'm like, that's awesome. But yeah, the growth has been insane. If it's not in your local B&M. You can pick it up, Cigar Federation, right? Absolutely. So Cigar Federation, uh, Chris and Kyle have been good friends of mine for a long time. Um, I, I knew them, I knew Chris since maybe 2014. Um, and so they're our only online retailer um, outside of brick and mortars who have their own websites or whatever. But we're all over the United States, you know. So up and down the eastern coast, Midwest, and, and, and out west as well. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try to get you get you guys in some of the B and M's around here. Absolutely. Where are you where are you located? I, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. And my closest B and M is is an hour and a half away. That's great. Let's do it. Let's just, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's do it right now. I absolutely love it. So, what do you have coming down the what What's in the works? What's in the pipe? What do you've got? Uh, can you give us a little sneak peek? Cool psych wants to know. You know what can you what what can you tease for us? Absolutely, man. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a cool year. Um, our next blend will be available March, April. Um, we're doing a Sumatra blend that is absolutely phenomenal. It's nothing like the crook. And that was my goal. It's absolute um, amazing. You're going to see uh, a new Vitola. Um, we're, we're going to be launching an in a Robusto and our Rojas Corona, which is a six by 46. And then sometime at the end, like maybe July-ish, you'll be seeing our very first limited edition. Um, and staying true to boutiques, you know, uh, when it's gone, it's gone. We're not making it again. Nice. Um, that's going to be an awesome. I don't want to give too much away. Right. But it's going to be cool. It, it's uh, For those that have smoked the Remy and love the Remy so much, it's going to be a petite bellicoso, but it's going to be a Connecticut, but it's going to be something that changes it up a little bit. I don't think you're, uh, it's going to, yeah, it's going to shake some boots a little bit, I think. Well, now I'm looking forward to that as well. Based on, based on Crook of the Crown, like I'm going to try everything and anything you guys put out. So Lee, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you just got off a plane and I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for coming on the show telling everybody kind of about your journey and, and, and stolen thrones journey. It's been a fantastic conversation. No, I please, please. The pleasure is all mine, man. Anytime. I'm so thankful for you guys reaching out. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Well, and I appreciate uh shiny profit helping to facilitate this. It, it's been fantastic. It's always the nice to have smoky panda, <laughs> smoky panda, the smoky panda. Well, I know what I'm doing when I get done here. I am messaging the Smoky Panda, and I am going to say hello to Smoky Panda. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out Stolen Throat Cigars, like he said, uh, Cigar Federation. Uh, you can check your local B&M, and I'm telling you, you need to get your hands on these. The Crook of the Crown comes in Toro, Robusto, Fantastic. 
fantastic cigars. You will be surprised and you will love it. Uh, again, Lee, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Until next time, stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.